uplifting words. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then verse 17 concludes and reassures us that those who are in Christ will be co-glorified with Christ. I mean, it's, a, it's an incredibly great set of verses and promises for us. However, beginning with verse 18, though there is no condemnation, though we have been freed from sin and death, though we will be glorified with Christ, in this present age, right now, there is and there will be suffering. We know this. Christianity is no pie-in-the-sky dream. Paul acknowledges the reality of suffering that we will experience in this present age. It's real, and it's painful. But he gives us some perspective by telling us that the present suffering is not even worthy of comparison to the glory that awaits us in the future. It's like just one drop of water in a vast ocean. But it is a necessary drop. Earlier in chapter 5, Paul had written that suffering is the first link in a chain of virtue. He writes, we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and that endurance produces character, and that character produces hope. And now he adds one final link to this chain, glory. Glory is the last step in a series of steps that begins with suffering. That's the path that Jesus took, and that's the path that his disciples must also take. And the thing is, it's not just our hope, the suffering. It's the hope of all creation. You know, over the last several weeks, I've been preaching about the substitutionary and atoning sacrifice of Christ for us, for our sins, that through his death, our sins are forgiven, and that we have been redeemed, and that we have been brought back to God. The love of God in Jesus Christ, who died for us to save us, is the glorious message of the gospel. But, but, we must also remember that God's redemption is much bigger than that. God's redeeming work in Jesus Christ extends to all of creation. As the Catechism says, Christ's death is the beginning of redemption and renewal of every part of creation, not just human beings. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, not just the people in the world, but the world, the entire cosmos. And so in our reading, Paul personifies creation, and he says that it is waiting with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Um, eager longing, the word has this, uh, if you, this word picture of someone that's kind of straining their neck and kind of leaning forward, um, like an like like a Olympic sprinter, for example, right at the end, you know how they kind of lean in. It, it's that image that all of creation is just, just leaning with anticipation. Uh, J.B. Phillips translated this as creation is standing on its tiptoes, right? It's, it's that kind of anticipation for what's going to be revealed, this redemption. Back in Genesis, during the time of creation, God gave human beings dominion over all of creation and nature. We were to rule over God's creation as God's emissaries. We were to rule as God rules. 
but we've taken that language of have dominion over creation as a way of exploiting nature, of destroying nature, just for our own ends. And because of the disobedience of the fall of Adam and Eve, all of nature has been cursed and fallen with us. The fall isn't just our humanity's problem. It affects all of creation. Creation, Paul says, is subjected to futility, to corruption, impermanence, incompleteness. It is in bondage to corruption as much as we are. And it has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. I think that's a really good illustration, um, even though the majority of us here uh, will never experience it. Um, but I've stood by and witnessed my wife going through that a few times. There is a lot of groaning, if you've ever uh, seen that. Um, but when that child is born, when the child is born, all the pain, all that groaning is forgotten, or so I'm told, right? That, that pain is real, but that joy is so much greater. And, and likewise, the redeeming work of God in Christ is not just for us, but for the restoration and renewal and renovation of the entire cosmos. All of creation suffers now, but the Bible tells us that's not the way it was supposed to be, and that's not the way it's going to be, and, and gives us some hints, some descriptions of what that might look like. Isaiah 55, 12, for example, the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Psalm 96, 11, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Isaiah eleven six. the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned ch child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord and the, as the waters cover the sea. I mean, that, that's an amazing vision. This, this incredible harmony with all of nature. Like, like you'll be able to walk through a dark forest in the middle of the night with thunder, with howling of coyotes, and you will have no fear. That's the vision that is laid out for us. Lions and fattened calves will hang out together and eat vegan. That, you know, that's actually not very far from the vision of the story I told you last week about the fat rabbit and the tawny scrawny lion eating fish carrot stew. That's the vision. Now, trees obviously will not literally sing for joy or uh, clap but it all points to this, this joy, this, this harmony, this praise that all of nature will have for God. Nature and creation is not simply food for us. It's not simply resources for us to use. They are all a part of the glory of God. And all of nature sings in the praise of God. And I, I believe this is a call for us to be stewards 
of God's creation. This is a call for us to care about the world, about the environment. You know, um, when I was a young Christian, when I first became a Christian, um, I didn't really care about the world at all, like the environment, because, well, because of the ridiculous amount of comforts I wanted or had uh, for myself, right? Um, I didn't care about wasting water or recycling, you know, or saving the whales because, you know, I wanted to take long, hot showers or, you know, whatever. Um, on top of that, you know, I grew up in churches that sort of emphasize or only focused on the salvation of people's souls, that, that that's what mattered, right? That nothing else really mattered other than, you know, you've got to worry and, and preach the gospel and evangelize because the eternal destiny of people's souls is all that matters. Now, that, of course, that's, that's central. But um, as you think about what God has done, and when you read a text like this about God wanting to, to redeem all of creation, uh, it reminds us that there's more than people's eternal destinies at stake. And I think if you've ever been on a mission trip um, or been any, in many parts of the world today, uh, you know that creation, you know that the environment matters a lot. It's not simply a matter of preaching the gospel. You can see creation suffering and groaning together. You can see that clean water and air quality and removing lead from paint and so on are vitally important if we are to love our neighbors in any meaningful way. I remember the first time I was exposed to this really was um, when I went to Malawi uh, way back um, in the 90s. And, you know, I thought, you know, I'm just going to go and I'll just preach the gospel. That's all I'm going to do. But when you get there and you're trying to, to preach people and you want to try to bring them to, to Bible study and bring them to Bible, you realize that they don't know how to read. And so you think, well, then we, then we need to just build schools. But then you think about building schools and teaching them to school, uh, have them be educated. But then the kids who are coming to those schools, they're already so behind because they grew up in a very toxic environment, led, for example, in, in their homes. And so they're developmentally behind, right? And then, you know, they're not getting enough nutrition. I mean, so all of this stuff adds together. So, so if we're going to talk about the gospel or bringing the gospel or, or presenting the gospel in any meaningful way, in any loving sort of way, it can't just be preach the gospel. There has to be concern about redeeming all of nature. It matters. All of it matters because God created all of it. And God is redeeming all of it. Uh, many years ago, uh, I heard a sermon that um, it, it still stayed with me by uh, Tony Campolo. And he gave a sermon about why we should care about the extinction of whales and other animals. That was, you know, very helpful for me. Uh, he argued that uh, every animal and every part of creation is a part of God's choir singing God's praise. And so if we wipe out the Siberian tigers or if we wipe out the panda bears, you just knocked out the alto section of God's choir, right? You're, you're taking away from God's glory. And there, there's a part of creation now that can no longer sing to the glory of God. God intends to liberate and redeem the created world along with human beings. All of the fallen creation is being redeemed. But in the meanwhile, in this present age, all of creation groans because it knows that this is not the way it's supposed to be. And so we don't need to make it worse. We need to work the, to lessen the groaning 
of creation, anticipating the full redemption in Jesus Christ. And we do that knowing that it is not a hopeless groan. It's a groan of waiting and of anticipation for the revealing of the children of God. It's waiting for us to rule with justice and righteousness. Secondly, not only does all of creation groan, but Paul says, we also, we the redeemed, we also groan. We groan because life is hard. Life can be full of pain and suffering. We carry the wounds of unfulfilled dreams, of disappointments, the pain of dysfunctional families, the regrets of wrong decisions made. Perhaps not so much in this country right now, but in many places, Christians suffer, sometimes with their lives, for their faith. We groan for them, and we also groan because when we look at the world, when we look at our families, and when we look at our own bodies, we see that this, 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 there's something not right. It's not the way it's supposed to be. We know this. We know the truth of what Wesley tells the Princess Buttercup and the Princess Bride. Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. Life is pain. And some of you are better groaners than others. My kids groan when I tell a bad joke or misuse a current idiom. More seriously, we groan about the problems of our country, of our church, of our families, and of ourselves. We groan because of the very oppressions and injustices leveled against us and against others. When tragedy strikes, we can and must groan together. Grieving over loss and death is a part of our discipleship because we worship a God who himself groaned and grieved with us and understands this. Groaning is, is this deep kind of inward response to suffering and pain and agony that is beyond words. Um, I learned this week, interestingly, that the word groan and the word grin comes from the same root. Both refer to the clenching of the teeth, right? So like groaning in pain, like, Argh! and also grinning like, you know, kind of a fake smile. Um, but I, I like that because the link between groan and grin tells me that there is a link between suffering and future glory. That suffering is not the last word. That there is hope. They're intertwined. We groan because our redemption, while certain and completed, is not yet complete. We groan because we are waiting and waiting and we wait. And while we're waiting, our bodies are subject to corruption, to futility, in a world that is also subject to corruption and futility. We groan because we've been given the first fruit of the Spirit. That is, we've been uh, given a taste, a pledge, a promise of what the redeemed life looks like. We've gotten the taste, but not the fullness. We groan because just like the rest of creation, we're waiting for what is to come. And for us, that's adoption as sons and daughters. The redemption of our bodies, of our bodies. And theologians call this the already, but not yet. We are adopted. We are redeemed. But the fullness is not yet here. 1 John 3 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. That's what we already are. But what we will be has not yet 
appeared. Already, but not yet. Loved and saved, but we wait in hope for the full glory of salvation to be completed in the resurrection of our bodies, along with the redemption of the rest of creation. Um, you know, some weeks, um, doesn't happen often, but once in a while, God gives me an illustration to really drive home a point, I think. And I don't use this word lightly, but I, I experienced a kind of miracle this week, and I want to just uh, share that with you. Those of you who are closer to my age, you know that as you get older, um, your body isn't quite as good as it used to be. Uh, things break down. Um, in addition to major illnesses uh, and disease, um, little annoying pains start to creep in. You know, like I my shoulder, like I it's, it, if you feel it, you can feel all this creaking. Um, my elbow, I have elbow pain now, back pain, of course. Um, I, and I groan. I groan, but mostly to my wife, right, about the lingering and occasional pains that I have, especially when I overexert myself. And overexerting, I don't mean doing a lot of extra work. I mean, like, you know, stretching too far to reach a plate or something. Um, and some of you know, uh, I've shared with you, over the last several years, one of the things that's been really kind of nag a nagging pain that I've had over the last several years has been in my, in my knee, my left knee. Um, I have some good days, some bad days, and, and I, I haven't been able to, like, fully bend it. And so um, whenever I had to, like, bend down, I have to, like, do these, like, I have to go down like this, you know, to keep it kind of straight. And, um, you know, some days it, it hurts a lot. Some days it's just kind of just an annoying little pain. But it's, it's always there. It's just a little bit of a, just an annoying thing. Um, so, like, last month, for example, you know, when we went to the gym to play volleyball and basketball, I was really looking forward to it because that week my knee had been feeling pretty good. But that Sunday while I was preaching, my knee just started to hurt a lot. And by the end of the day, it was just in, in a lot of pain, and so, so I couldn't play. Um, and, you know, um, I was sad I couldn't play, but then I was kind of glad because I didn't have to embarrass myself. Um, but it was, it was, you know, um, but it's something that I kind of have lived with, you know, and I, I accept it as part of uh, just, just growing old. Um, but last Sunday, it's the worst it's ever felt. I mean, it was just really, really bad. Um, I, I went home, and I just, tr I mean, I just had trouble walking up and down the stairs. It was, it was that bad for me. And it was so bad, I even thought about seeing a doctor. I mean, it, was, it got that bad. And I never liked going there. Um, and it, it happened so that the pain worsens for me typically on Sunday. And I'm thinking, it's, maybe it's because I'm standing, you know, for a long time. And so maybe I should, like, preach shorter sermons so I can sit down faster. Um, anyway, so earlier, so Sunday, Monday, it was really bad. It's, it's the worst pain uh, it's ever been uh, for me. And so I'm praying for God to help me. Um, I usually don't pray for the, like, small aches and pains for myself, but I felt I, I really needed help. And so I'm praying because I'm, I'm just really struggling with it. And Wednesday morning, I wake up, and the pain is just gone. Right? It, like, not even, like, a little better, but just gone. Like, somebody came in and gave me a new knee. I mean, it just, I, I, I can't. Like, I, I didn't know what, like, I didn't know. I was so thankful. I was so happy. You know, I was telling my wife in the kitchen, and I'm like, you know, I, was, I, felt, I felt so good. I'm telling her, man, I want to go 
play soccer, you know, start doing the river dance, you know. I was like so happy. Then I remembered I don't know how to do the river dance. But I, it was just, just such like, wow, like I can't believe um, how happy I was over, you know, something fairly minor, at least in some ways. But I was just so thankful. And um, as I was thinking about it this week, I thought, you know, God is just really kind of giving me a clue here and just giving me some insight into this text uh, for you today. That there is something about that joy and about the healing that points me toward the resurrected body. It's a small insight into that joy and what a good resurrected body might feel like, right? I mean, it's just, it's just a drop. It's just a drop. But it gave me a hint, right? And I'm groaning and I'm groaning, and then there's this glimpse of a future hope that's awaiting me. You know, I, I know that health and, you know, health is not permanent, not in this life. I, I know this, of course. I know that my knee and, and the rest of my body will uh, break down later, sooner or later, hopefully later. Even Lazarus had to die again. So it's, right? And in fact, as if God wanted to bring this home, this point home, you know, Friday night I got so sick. Uh, not in my knee, but um, I, I got so sick. I had like body chills and headache and I was, I was leaking, you know, and... Um, I was just, like, my teeth were, ch- I couldn't stop my teeth from chattering. I was so cold from, from the sickness. Um, probably something I ate. So, so I know I'm going to continue to be sick. I know I'm going to continue to have, you know, illnesses and, and all of that. But for this particular mercy, um, I'm just so thankful. And it, again, it just points me. It reminds me of the hope that we have in the resurrection of the body, that that is waiting. And that's just the body, right? That's just the body. In the resurrection, all of me, all of me will be healed. All of me, the broken relationships, the emotional distresses, all of my spiritual, all of that will be redeemed. Not just me, but everyone around me and all of creation. Creation groans, we groan. And then Paul says, the Holy Spirit also groans with us and for us. He says, in our weakness, we don't even know what to pray for. We don't even know what to pray for. But we have help. The Spirit of God, who knows God's perfect will, intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. The Spirit shares in our groaning. In verse 23, we're told that we've been given the first fruits of the Spirit, and the same Spirit now groans for us. Uh, first fruits, it's the practice of giving the, um, for farmers, you know, the very first crop, it's the practice of giving that very first harvest or the very first crop of the harvest to God as a sign of um, trust to acknowledge that God is the one who made this uh, harvest possible, that God owns all of it, that God owns all the land and all the work and everything else. And so it's given to God as a, as a thanksgiving, as an offering of a pledge. And in the same way, that God has given us the spirit as a pledge, as a promise of what is to come. And this spirit intercedes for us with groaning that is too deep for words. You know, the picture that I have in my mind, again, um, is that the spirit is someone, as you know, who comes alongside of us and 
is with us, the God who is with us. And so for me, I picture someone who's going to come alongside and help me uh, to do heavy lifting, right? Like, let's say, suppose you got to move a piano or something, and you're, and you're moving the piano, and you and your friend are moving, and, and what do you do? You're, like, you're just grunting, right? You're like, Arr! you're groaning. You're not saying, hey, this is really heavy, right? You're just, just groaning with, with the weight and the burden of that. And, and that's the spirit. The spirit is alongside, and it's carrying this weight with you and groaning with you with words, without words, because sometimes the, the pain that we have to bear is beyond words. Um, most of you have been with people who have gone through such suffering and such pain and grieving that, that there are no words. Right? We, you've been with people where they're, they're, their loss is so great and, and you wish you had some words that could help them, but, but sometimes there's no words. So, so you, just, you just sit with them, you sigh, you, you groan inwardly. And that's the prayer. And that's what the Spirit does for us. We groan together. Spirit groans with us. Paul will say that in a few verses later, that Jesus is also interceding for us. I don't know if you knew that, but you know, Jesus is praying for, for you. He's praying for you. He's making intercession for you. Even as you struggle, even as you groan, with whatever difficulty you're going through, the Spirit is making intercession with groanings that are too deep for words, and Jesus himself is making intercession for you. The Spirit is with us. You know, I think we sometimes think, when I'm having these great, moments of spiritual ecstasy or spiritual high that, that I'm filled with the Spirit or somehow like the Spirit is with me now. That, that's true. But it's also in these moments when we're groaning and suffering, that's when the Spirit is present with us too. Spirit is with us always. And that's the hope and that's the promise that we have. We groan in this life all of creation groans in this world, but we are not without help and we are not without hope. The Spirit helps us and we know something better is coming. Michael Bird writes, hope is the audacity of faith under adversity. Hope is the audacity of faith under adversity. We suffer, but we have hope. Not wishful thinking, not wishful thinking, not optimism, but Christian hope that is rooted in the historical work, in the objective work of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. We have hope because of that. We have hope because we know of the resurrection. We have a hope because it is rooted in the decision of God to love us before the creation of the world in Jesus Christ. And God's promises, God's will does not change. It is everlasting to everlasting. There is no shadow of turning with him. So as we witness the groaning of creation, and as we experience our own groanings, let it point you toward this hope that we have. Experience the help of the Spirit, and let that groaning Remind you of what is to come. 
that it is but the first step on the path to glory. Let's pray together. God, we, um, I know it can be uh, discouraging sometimes when we look at the world and the, and the state that the world is in sometimes. Um, and yet you tell us that you are working still to redeem the world, that all of creation is being redeemed. So God, give us that hope so that we can wait with patience and with endurance to know that you are creating a new heaven and a new earth, that the former things shall not be remembered anymore. God, even as we groan, remind us that you are there with us in our groaning and that one day, we have the hope of glory because you have died for us. So we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.